0: Hey, thank you for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can go to our website renewalchicago.com. I pray that this podcast today is a blessing and encouragement to your soul. All right. So, have you ever have you ever looked out into the world into the front page, perhaps, into social media, into whatever. Have you ever looked out there and you just seen somebody who needs mercy? Yeah? And you're like, what a miserable state that they're in. How pitiful. They, would, would somebody do something for them? A widow, an orphan, an immigrant, a New England Patriots fan. It could be lots and lots of things. Now, in all seriousness, we look out and we see people who need mercy. We just say, have mercy. Have mercy on them. Who, what, else, what else could be done for them? They just need mercy, right? You know, uh, we're looking at, at uh, mercy today in Jesus' great teaching as he opens his Sermon on the Mount. And there's almost no better. Example. Her story has been told thousands of times, but it bears retelling today almost no better example of this idea of mercy than Corrie Ten Boom's story. She was, as you know, uh, held in a concentration camp in in World War II because uh, she had been helping Jews and keeping them in her house. Her sister died in that camp. And she tells a story, again, that has been retold many times. And I want to read part of that story because it, it applies directly to this idea of mercy. She was, after the war, she had, uh, obviously was set free from the camp, she survived, she um, began writing and speaking and helping herself and others to heal from all of, this, uh, all of the horror that, that happened during the war. And she was speaking at what event on the subject of mercy and forgiveness and she saw across the room when she was done speaking a former guard at the camp where she was. And she sees him, and this is what she writes. She says, "'That's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw his overcoat and brown hat, and the next, in my mind's eye, I saw the blue uniform and the visored cap with its skull and crossbones.'" It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, her ribs sharp beneath parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Now here he was in front of me, his hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, All our sins are at the bottom of the sea. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk. I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? What is mercy, my friends? To whom is it owed? How is it practiced? Mercy, the subject of our verse today, As you know, we're we're in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, and let's let's read it together. We're going to read, or I'll read it, we're going to read the first seven verses of Matthew chapter five, as we get started. Matthew chapter five, you can find it in your Bible app, in your paper Bible, we'll put it up on the screen. If you do have an app or a Bible, it's handy to have, we're going to be in this and another passage quite a bit today. Uh, So Matthew chapter five, verses one through seven, and when you have it, stand if you're able, as I read. Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 7. Jesus says, or I'm sorry, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, Jesus sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness," for they shall be satisfied. Blessed, here it is, are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You guys may be seated. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the series that we're in, is in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. This is the introduction to that great sermon, one continuous teaching, uh, a a teaching that has fascinated people for thousands of years, fascinated by the ethics, attracted by it in some places, repelled by it in others, right? And then we have here this uh, opening to the sermon, something that uh, the pastor and writer, Bible scholar John Stott has called, The the Beatitudes, these these first seven statements about the blessed person, John Stott has said, these are the most well-known teachings of Jesus, yet the least practiced teachings of Jesus. And if you think about it, what what Jesus is describing here is the blessed person, the word blessed. Pastor D has talked a lot about this. It could be also translated supremely happy like, not just superficially happy. Pastor Diaz said, this isn't a set of circumstances. This is a state of being, right? This is the kind of person that is deeply joyful, right? Blessed, this kind of blessedness. And if you think about what Jesus describes here as a supremely happy person, it just flies in the face of the, of the prevailing doctrine of our age, does it not? You know, if we were to look out and read books and, and go to seminars and see conferences and read on social media, how do you become happy? Nobody would mention Persecution and purity and hunger and mourning, <laughs> would they? Yet these are the descriptors that Jesus uses. No, no, no. The prevailing doctrine of our age, the culture says if you want to be happy, assert yourself, find yourself, stand up for yourself, be proud of yourself, elevate yourself, defend yourself, avenge yourself, serve yourself, promote yourself. Do you see how different Jesus' words are here? Jesus uses words. Like persecution, peace, purity, mercy, hunger, mourning, and poverty to describe the most radical kind of blessedness. Fascinating. And here we are on that fifth statement of the blessed person mercy. In order to understand it better, we're going to read another teaching from Jesus. Um, You know, Jesus gives here a descriptor of the blessed person. We're going to go, we're going to jump ahead several chapters in Matthew, where he doesn't just give a description about mercy, he actually explains a little bit about mercy, and it's going to really help us to frame up the Christian idea of mercy. One quick note before we go there, in this story that we're about to read, it's a parable from Jesus. And he mentions, um, there's a character in the parable, a king who mentions selling somebody into bond service. And it's, it's worth noting because we're just so separated from ancient Near Eastern culture, what this is. This was the ancient Near Eastern way mechanism for bankruptcy, right? So instead of somebody being crushed in destitute poverty under debt, They had a way out called bond service. When it was properly practiced, it protected people from poverty. Okay, so that's just one one aside before we get started. Matthew chapter 18, I'm gonna read for you uh, verses 23 through 35. If you've got your Bible, uh, uh, your paper Bible or maybe a Bible app, man, in, in Matthew chapter five, write a note, say, see also Matthew chapter 18, right? See also, because we've got this extended teaching on mercy, Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had happened. Verse 32, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you have had, and should not have you had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And Jesus says, verse 35, "So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart." Sharp words. Incredible story. It stirs. it provokes, like all of Jesus's really good parables do, right? They, they provoke us to think. And, and this, this story provokes several questions. And these are the questions that we're going to look at today, kind of frame up where we're going with mercy. First, the most obvious question is the question the king in the story asks How could this servant have done what he did? How, after having been forgiven so much, how could he not extend the same forgiveness to somebody else? That's our first question. Second, who needs mercy? Broad question Who needs mercy? And third, How can mercy be practiced? What can we do? Is it possible? Right? First, how could the servant have acted the way that he did? How could the servant, having received such mercy, have acted the way that he did toward his fellow servant? Um, A little bit of background. Jesus shared this parable with with his disciples, actually what led up to this is Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, asks this question, but it's a, it's a loaded question, and you can hear it in Peter's tone. He says, how often should we forgive somebody? As many as seven times? Now, when Peter says that, it sounds strange to us, right? Because we don't use the word seven that way, but seven for the Hebrew person wasn't a number that was only counted. It was also a number that was weighed. In other words, it had significance. It had weight beyond its numerical count. We still use the number seven that way. It means lucky, right? It's it's a different kind of weight and different kind of meaning, but we still use numbers sometimes to mean something beyond their count, right? Peter was doing that. He was saying, "In, in effect, surely there is a limit, Jesus, to how often I should forgive. That's his question. He's making a statement through a question. And Jesus hears Peter, and what does he say? He responds in kind. He takes Peter's exaggeration, and he redoubles it. He says, no, Peter, I tell you, you should forgive somebody 70 times seven, right? If we were to put this in today's parlance, into today's vernacular, we would say something like, how many times should I forgive somebody? Like a zillion times. And the other guy would say, no, like a zillion times infinity. Do you see? Jesus is saying, you have no idea how, uh, how much you should forgive. And then he goes on and he tells the parable that we just read, and it answers the question, why? Why should forgiveness effectively have no limit? Why should mercy be dispensed readily and abundantly, right? It's right here in the parable that Jesus gave. And so we get to this question, the question that, that everybody who listened to, this, listened to this parable had, how could the servant have acted so despicably? And there are two answers. And I think, I think there's a number of answers, why we don't, I don't, dispense mercy. But there are two answers here that we're going to look at quickly. First, the servant failed to appreciate the depths of his own debt. And second, he failed to recognize the heights of the other's dignity. He failed to appreciate the depths of his own debt, and he failed to recognize the heights of the other's dignity. Do you see these go hand in hand? When, when Jesus says this servant owed 10,000 talents, he was, he was using, again, an exaggeration. This, this figure, a lot of people have said, how much is that in today's, in today's denominations and currencies? And, and, and you, know, you can go there, but you're kind of missing the point. The point is you can't pay this amount. It's too much. That's Jesus' point. It's like beyond what is payable. A worker in Jesus' day uh, earning a wage, if they were, if they, the average one might earn one or two talents in a lifetime. You might earn three or four if you did well and you lived long. Do you see? Thousands of lifetimes worth of payment owed to this king. The point is he can't pay it back, right? And yet, what is the servant's response to the king? Do Do you remember verse 26? There he is, servant fell on his knees, imploring the king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. What, what, how can this be? Do you see, he failed to appreciate the depths of his own debt. He was delusional. This is the only way this is possible. He, instead of, in, in a moment when nothing, only, 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 only the king's mercy would do. Nothing else would do. In that moment, the servant appeals to his own ability and says, I'll pay you back. Just give me more time. He didn't appreciate. He failed to appreciate the depths of his debt. And second, he failed to recognize the heights of the dignity of the other person. He goes out and he grabs this guy by the neck and he says, pay me back, everything now. A hundred denarii, Jesus says, this is a few months wages, still a significant sum, but eminently payable. He failed to recognize. It's like he doesn't even see the other person. He's not even connecting the dots. He has categories for people, like some people deserve mercy and others do not. I'm the kind of person that deserves mercy. As a matter of fact, it's probably reasonable that the king extended mercy to me. And it's unreasonable to even think about, to even consider. It's not even on his radar. It's not on his mental map to consider extending mercy to his fellow servant. Do you see? He failed to appreciate the depths of his debt, and he failed to recognize the heights of his fellow servant's dignity. And it leads us straight into the next question. Who needs mercy? Who needs mercy? The, the, the servant presumed. He had so much presumption, didn't he? He presumed that extending forgiveness of the debt to him was a reasonable thing to do, perhaps even earned because of the kind of person he was. You see? But while someone else receiving mercy is an unreasonable thing, it's it's beyond the pale, you know, social scientists have observed this happening in cultures throughout time, and a number of them, Jonathan Haidt and others, have said this is this kind of idea where some people are deserving of, of better treatment than others is, is, is on the rise again. It's something that social scientists are calling groupishness. Right? We can imagine my kind of person really probably should receive certain kinds of things. And another kind of person or party or denomination or group or class or gender or whatever probably shouldn't receive those kinds of things. Right? It's reasonable for me to receive mercy. It is unreasonable for that political party to receive mercy. You see, this kind of groupishness is, is so here in this in this parable from Jesus. In World War II, going back to Corey ten Boom, jumping back into that scene, she continues. Right there, she says, she asks herself, how? I cannot give him mercy and forgiveness. How can I? My sister died there. And then she continues. She says, it could not have been many seconds that he stood there. Hand held out, but to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You provide the rest. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one outstretched to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being. And I I burst into tears, filling my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Who needs mercy, friends? The former guard and the former prisoner. The victim and the perpetrator. Everyone Needs mercy. Everyone, everyone, everyone needs mercy. You need mercy. I need mercy. We all need mercy. See, Corey Ten Boom's in the story in the parable from Jesus. It teaches us a a really important thing right here. We learn that there is a difference between needing and deserving. None of us need uh, deserve. None of us deserve mercy. That's why it's mercy. (laughs) We need it. We all need mercy. None of us flourish apart from mercy. None of us can thrive in a rigid, merciless environment. Imagine, we all need mercy. This principle, this Christian principle that everyone needs mercy is the great leveler. (laughs) It's one of the most democratic, liberal, leveling statements ever made. Like, everybody is hopelessly indebted, and everybody needs mercy and forgiveness. Right? We're all the same. How, how then, can we go out and not extend mercy to somebody else? That is the teaching here. And and this principle, this Christian principle, this idea, it it can shake the world. It it rids us of, it is the antidote to entitlement and self-righteousness because I need it too. It's right there in Corey Ten Boom's story. She said, as he was standing there with his arm outstretched, do you remember? I, who needed forgiveness every day, she says, was struggling to forgive him. You see, she was able to be merciful because she recognized that she was also a recipient of mercy. What Jesus says here is literally true you know, he uses hyperbole and exaggeration in his, uh, in his answer to Peter. But whenever he's talking in his Sermon on the Mount, and he's giving the list of the seven blessed things, the seven blessed characteristics of the person who believes in him, he is literally saying what is actually true. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The, the blessed, deeply happy are the merciful. And, and and we can see it again in Corey Ten Boom's story. She says this, and so it happened. First, the cold-blooded decision to extend mercy, and then joy and peace. What Jesus says is literally true. Remember in the parable of, uh, from from Jesus, the king. What, the servant who didn't extend mercy, he had first received mercy. Do you remember? The king did it first. If you are sitting here today, you've received mercy. <laughs> You're here. Your, your, your body works. Your mind works. Your, your, your eyes and your ears, they work. Have, have eyes and ears to hear what Jesus is saying today. You've received mercy. And so the question is, will you go out and, and, and be awestruck with the thousands of lifetimes worth of debt that has been forgiven and forgive others and extend mercy to others. Do you see, everyone needs mercy. Corey ten Boom, this is my last quote from her. She says this, what I experienced that day, I saw time and again. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness on the other hand, remained invalids, imagine. On the one hand, rebuilding lives, and on the other hand, paralysis and bitterness, remaining an invalid. She says, it was as simple and as horrible as that. Jesus says, if you don't extend mercy, neither are you going to receive mercy. It's as simple and as horrible as that leads us finally to our last question. How then are we to extend mercy? We've seen several stories today, corey ten Boom, these radical stories of concentration camps, the radical story of 10,000 talents, the radical stories of thinking about people who need mercy, but how do we practice mercy really in every every single day? What does it mean? Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let it soak in. How then do we practice mercy? I give you three three quick principles. One is one that we've already mentioned, one that's in the in the parable itself, is recognize. Step one to giving mercy is recognizing every day that you also require mercy. It's that simple. If you recognize that you require mercy, and and radically so, then it is much easier to dispense mercy. I mean this in little ways. I mean this in like little practical interrelational ways with your roommate, with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, with your friends, with your work colleagues. You need mercy. (laughs) You don't thrive without it. In environments where mercy is abundant, you flourish more, right? I mean it in those little ways, but I also mean it in the ultimate way. You need mercy from God. There is no standing, there is no surviving apart from God's abundant and abounding mercy to you, right? Step one to practicing mercy is recognizing every day that you also require it. Step two, or another principle of of giving out mercy is that simply a lot of times mercy looks a lot like noticing. It looks like noticing. It's taking note of someone in their misery, in their suffering, in their vulnerability. It's making note of that and acting on it. Mercy is noticing. You know, mercy is, is seeing the homeless person and, like, doing something about it. Mercy is, is noticing, and I mean noticing more than, like, tweeting something about it, right? Like, I encourage you think about practically do the work, thinking about how do I notice people better in my world, and, and regularly practice outreaches to the vulnerable, to the poor. And Christians have been known for this since the beginning of Christians. Notice and do it, and do it in obscure ways—ways ways that sweep the floor, clean the toilet in a homeless shelter. when you, when you go to Breakthrough, don't just serve the food. Sit at the table and eat and notice people in their lives and hear their stories, you see, one, recognize every day that you require mercy. Two, mercy looks a lot like noticing. And three, mercy looks a lot like forgiving. Looks a lot like forgiving. The the lines between these two is so blurred that in Jesus's parable about mercy, it's a story of forgiveness, right? Peter, or you could put it the other way, Peter asks a question about forgiveness and Jesus answers with a story about mercy. The, the the line is blurred. Think about, name the person, the people in in your mind that that you just have trouble forgiving. The 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 class of people that you can't imagine forgiving. Maybe you don't even know them. Who who is just beyond the pale for you? They're too outrageous. Name them and forgive them. Let go of that. I'm, the the person who has hurt you, who has committed offense to you, against you, I'm not saying have lunch with them every day. I'm saying stop holding it against them. Let it go. Release it. It, it. You know that you haven't released it when their name comes up and immediately right to the surface of your thinking is that offense again. You're holding it against them. Let it go. Forgive. Mercy looks a lot like forgiveness. Practice whenever possible, noticing. Practice whenever possible, forgiving. The minister, the preacher, the pastor, uh, Thabidi Abenwile, uh, he is, is a gifted uh, at Bible scholar also. He says this, that mercy is the close cousin of grace. Perhaps you've already noticed that today. Mercy is the close cousin of grace. Grace sees Our guilt and gives pardon. Mercy sees our misery and provides relief. Grace sees our guilt and provides pardon. Mercy sees our misery and provides relief. Now, listen, if that's the definition of mercy and grace, then don't we have to say that this is the whole story of Jesus? This is the story of Jesus. Even in, in Matthew 5, the very first verse that we read today, he's going, he's, he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. What is it? How does it even open up? He saw the crowds. He noticed them. He sat down to teach. He saw the multitudes. They were like sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. But it's bigger than that. Jesus noticed. He saw us in our state of guilt and misery <laughs> right, before he descended, when he was still in heaven, when he was still high and lifted up, he saw us in guilt and misery, and he said, I will enter in, and I will provide pardon and relief. This is a story of Jesus. This is why he can say, if you don't extend forgiveness, I don't extend forgiveness, because you haven't realized all that I've done for you. You haven't You you haven't accounted for the 10,000 talents that I paid for. Do you see the mercy that the servant received was free for him, but it was costly for the king. A forgiving king doesn't recoup his 10,000 talents. Jesus has done the same thing. He saw our misery and he came to provide relief. He took our guilt and he went to the cross to provide pardon. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I confess to you that I am too quick to think of others differently than I think of myself, to, to, to on the one hand, ask for mercy for myself and, and not extend it to others. Lord, I confess, we confess that to you. We pray that you would be at work in our minds and in our hearts, that you would help us to do the hard work of applying this message to our lives that we would consider who we need to notice and who we need to forgive in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. I pray again that it was a blessing and encouragement to your soul, and I hope to see you at one of our services at 10 a.m. Take care. God bless you.